Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we're doing the October wrap. Get ready for some awesome. Yep, there it was. You know who that is. Jay Storm from Abilene, Texas. Hello, Jonathan. Hey, Luke. Good to be with you, man. Yep. Yeah, it's good to be with you as well. Today I'm running a little late because uh, there's some traffic on the way to work this morning. One of the things I realized is that some people have a long commute to work, something I never had until this month. Must be nice. Yeah. Yeah. So all you people listen to podcasts while you're driving, I finally get why you listen to the podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> such a gift it's such a public service that you're giving it really is it's like hey luke norris really gives back it's that was going to be the the name is just too long <laughs> so here's a question how often do you listen to your podcast as you drive <laughs> you know what i i want to be prepared i want to you know really study my tapes uh okay i really hear your own voice, <laughs> hear <my> own voice. <laughs> hey last last night jamie the very worst missionary spoke at highland what hey yeah she jamie spoke. wright was there yeah and i went up to her afterwards and you know said a couple of things like one i'm the preacher here thanks for not getting me fired and two i'm good friends with luke norsworthy and she was like oh yeah i remember doing a podcast with luke and that was a weird experience and i said go on <laughs> <laughs> she said that jamie well she she was like uh she said that she had just worked out. She didn't want to have her Skype on. Like, <laughs> but you kept yours on the whole time. I you, did? Yeah, you kept your video in going, and she had hers off. And I said, well, you know, I guess he is a good-looking guy. And she goes, really? Oh, gee. <laughs> really? Really? Oh, it was such a gift she gave me. Oh, <laughs> like... I'm so hurt by that. Jamie. <laughs> Okay, first of all, I did not realize. I thought if you turned it off, you can't see anyone. So I did not know You're just that. Your nose and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> now I'm wondering. Hmm, that's really nice, Jamie. That hurts. Why was she at Highland? Um, she Highland and ACU brought her in to talk about missions. Highland, one a big part of our vision for global missions is uh, fighting sex trafficking in Southeast Asia. And that's a piece of the work she's done the last couple of years. So she was talking about that and talking about the problem with dependency and missions. It's really good. Good. Yeah, that's good. She, she's getting a, a scathing email from me. <laughs> you, you bet your bottom dollar that's happening real soon. Real soon. To whom it may concern. <laughs> so uh, didn't you just have uh, Suzanne, our Enneagram master? Yeah. Out in Abilene yeah. as well? We – um. We had her in working with the Highland staff the last couple of days, her and her husband, Joe. Yeah. That was amazing. She good? So did she uh, kind of help help you out, like figure out some yeah. of those things that are wrong with you? Well, she really helped me figure out what was wrong with sevens. Hmm. I, I honestly asked her what the most hurtful thing I could say to a seven was. You would have said that. Yeah. And what was it? Oh, it just involves like you'll never have fun again or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, I'm used to that. We've been friends for a while, so I'm used to not having funs. Funs. <laughs> funs. I just well said. said. Yeah, thank you. Good thing I talk for a living. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no kidding. So, yeah, man, uh, there's a lot of overlap in our two worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're just going around and talking to all my friends and making them say terrible things about me. So thank you for that. You're welcome. It's a gift. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure... Me, on the other hand, I just say nice things about you, and that's, mm -hmm. that's a difference in our friendship. Some people say nice things about you, like I saw on Facebook the other day that some people disagree with Jamie Wright. They think that you look like that, that one little kid in One Direction. <laughs> <laughs> they said he's your doppelganger. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, I'm glad you Googled the word so you know what that meant. Second of all, uh, yeah, I don't know what to think about that. It's, um, I'm sure it's meant as a compliment. Yeah, oh no, I'm sure it is. That 13-year-old young man that you happen to have some vague resemblance to. <laughs> uh, you should send that picture in your scathing email to Jamie. <laughs> I should. Jamie, take a look at this screenshot. This is my Facebook page. Someone said I look like a boy from One Direction. What do you think about that? You like apples, Jamie? <laughs> 
I'll say, Jamie, you know what? A 13-year-old boy came up to me and said, great preaching and great hair. Did that really happen? That really did happen. Yeah. That's got to be like the best compliment you could possibly imagine. Yeah, I think it's a really nice thing for someone to say. I mean, I've have I changed that to my business card? Maybe so. But the point is, <laughs> I, I'm just trying to, to reach people wherever they are. Because... The- the question all your friends want to know is which one did you spend more time on? Your sermon? <laughs> <laughs> or your hair? I, you know, I think really it's always about putting the best foot forward. And if that means you spend time getting your hair ready for church, that's what I do. And I'm really just trying to serve my people the best way I know how. God, you're such a servant. I know. Such a servant. Yep. Just, it's, it's always about what I can do for others. Lindsay once in the bathroom, and you're like, Lindsay, I'm putting on this foundation to repel the stage lights. <laughs> Leave me alone. Use the kids' bathroom, Lindsay. You know what? I think she really has a heart for ministry, and so she gets that. Yeah, she does. She does have a heart for ministry. She's got to. Mm-hmm. She really does, and I so, appreciate that. You introduced me this last month to Richard Rohr. I got to oh, meet yeah. him. Yeah. In person and hang out with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's also the first person on your podcast this month. It is, yeah. So um, we've got uh, Richard Rohr. We've got Mike Cope, your friend from Abilene. And my friend, we've got Shane Hips. We've got James Martin. Uh, our Great sp- month. Great month, yeah. man. And we had a sponsor for the month was uh, National Conference of Youth Ministry, where you're going to be in, uh, is it January? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So up in Colorado Springs, our, our sponsor for next month. 1128 Ministries, Executive Director, Risa Higgins. We're talking a little bit about spiritual formation, spiritual direction, retreats, mentoring, staff spiritual formation. So I'm looking forward to introducing 1128 Ministries to our listeners, our friends of the show. But yes, this month, Richard Rohr. How was it you getting to go meet Richard Rohr in person in Albuquerque? It was great. He is incredible. You know, I, there were some questions that I every time I listen to the podcast, I'd be like, Here's what I'd like to ask him, and sometimes they, those would work in. Most of the time, you'd ask your own dumb questions. But <laughs> one of the <laughs> why do I invite you on? I don't know. All you do is uh, just attack me. It's true, it like, feels a like a lamb being led to the slaughter. I just say, "Come on to my podcast," <laughs> and you just mock me. I'm not sure which one's the lamb in this scenario. I feel, I feel like, like I'm the suffering podcaster. Just like Isaiah prophesied about. <laughs> okay, so when you met Richard Rohr. Um, you remember that question? There's a just a, a few guys. We're all sitting around in a circle talking to him, and he's talking about non-binary thinking. Mm-hmm. And you remember that I asked him about ISIS? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that felt a bit like getting pantsed theologically. <laughs> so tell everyone <laughs> what he said to you. He goes... When I said, you know, what do you do with things like ISIS? And he said, um, because what I saying what ISIS does is evil doesn't make what you do good. Yeah. Oh crap! <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah. And, and that I realized, like, I think it is important. Like, <clears throat> liberal theology after World War II started realizing like they had a real problem naming evil. And I think Richard Rohr is onto something in that we're using naming evil to declare ourselves good. Mm -hmm. And I had never thought of that before. So do you think people are actually going, okay, if we look at ISIS, they're doing terrible things, beheading people. Uh, I think they developed an ideology or theology for raping people. And you go, well, obviously compared to that, I'm not a terrible person. Yeah. Do you think that obviously no one's going to overtly say that, but do you think that's in our subconscious as we're developing our moral compass and saying this is right, this is wrong? I definitely do. I think we cover over a lot of our own sins, greed, whatever, materialism, um, our own lust, the, and we do it because we can say what they do is evil. Therefore, I must be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Like, for example, I was at um, – <clears throat> when I was at AC, I, I pretended to be on the track team for a little while, and then I realized I'm not good enough to be on the track team. And one of the things that helped me see that was there was a, there was a, a high jumper there who was, I think, a Division II national champion. I think he went like 7'3". And so just ridiculous athlete. He's probably like my height, but he could high jump 
seven three, just amazing. And so, like comparing my ability to jump to his, it's not even close. Yeah. But if you compare like what's right uh, compared to like his ability to jump to the moon, like neither of us are getting all the way to the moon. Like it's not happening. I know his jumping is like two feet higher than mine, but in comparison to how high you re- need to jump to get to the moon, neither of us are getting there. And is that a goal of high jumpers to jump to the moon? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it'll take a few years for us to get there. It's kind of like the four-minute mile. Like, once yeah, the first person thinking. does it, then everyone will start doing it. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Did they not have that event in homeschool track? No, no, they did not. Homeschool track involved the road outside my house <laughs> and my mom watching from the driveway. Was it just like, hey, can I jump, jump in the back of the pickup? That was the high jump? <laughs> That's a very fun event. I will not have you mock it. I'm not. I'm not mocking. I'm saying it's a legitimate feat of athleticism. <laughs> Most of our athletics involved hay bales. So, <laughs> see, I'm the lamb led to the podcaster. I'm the lamb led to the podcaster. No, no. But the po- the point of what I was trying to say before you so rudely interrupted me was that in comparison to another person, like neither of us are jumping that high, and neither of us yeah. are that righteous. And yeah. you might look at someone who's has terrible like character but i think if you look sermon on the mount as a code of righteousness yeah we're all doing pretty bad right Uh, yeah i think that's well speaking of non-binary thinking you edited richard Rohr. (laughs) you you totally edited he said if you'll allow me to use an off-color word yeah and then you're like oh yeah 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 and then you did (laughs) you you edited him okay Binary thinking on your part. Yeah, so there's there's a little bit of a learning curve with uh, there's some new life changes going on in, in my world, and so we're still trying to figure out the uh, <clears throat> some of the uh, policies as, and procedures for going forward. But I think that is a decision I would not make again. But uh, in other news, if you want to hear Pete Holmes, go to the Pete Holmes podcast <laughs> on iTunes. You made it weird. Uh, you can hear that there. So, um, yeah. So if you want your profanity, you go to the Pete Holmes podcast. Is that yes. What you're saying? Yes. Hey, for what it's worth, man, I, I totally get it. As a preacher at a church, you're, you're now kind of representing a lot of people who didn't sign up for your yeah. podcast, you know? No, so yeah, I, no that's I fair. It. Yeah. It, and it, in real talk, obviously, I record one with Pete Holmes that hasn't been aired yet. And, you know, I talked to him afterwards about it. Even like while we're at the comedy club, he's like, man, when I first did the, um, got the spot for the, the, what was it? The E-Trade baby. You know, the, the commercial where you had the little baby with the adult voice. Yeah. That was him. Like that was one of his first big breaks. Oh, really? And he said when he started, when he got that commercial, he had to kind of, you know, clean stuff up because he had a corporate deal and all that. Uh, since then he's, um, moved past that stage of life, but he like, there is understanding, like when you you're committed to a big institution and a big organization, um, yeah, you you might want to be a little bit more careful. But uh, I, I think that specifically, like the Richard Rohr quote, yeah, I'd, that probably won't happen again. The way I edited that, so we're it's a learning curve. We'll we'll hopefully have this worked out in the next couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. But again, Jamie Wright's not coming on anytime soon for that reason. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Actually, Jamie and I have talked about her coming back on. But anyway. So yeah, um, one of the things I loved about Roar was his stuff about um, like all spirituality is like what you do with uh, death or pain or or hurt, and I find yeah. that to be so refreshing because I feel like there's a, a type of spirituality that says, okay, if you buy into this, then you can just put off all concern about death away. You can put on all concern about pain and hurt, and just you know Jesus took it for you, and yeah. so Jesus becomes this divine. Uh, you know, way to numb yourself from reality. And I think ultimately, like, good spirituality is, like, how you really deal with it. And I, I love how he's pointing us towards, like, this this embodied spirituality that, that deals with pain as not just a normal part of it, but as a great teacher for all of us. Right. I, his his uh, line about Christianity is largely about what you do with your pain, your relationship to pain. I've actually used that several times over the last month. Really? How'd you use it? Um, well, I, I did a funeral last week for a three-year-old, and as I was sitting down with the parents last Monday, um, I told them that, and, you know, they're young. How'd they respond when you told them that? They were numb. You know, I'm not sure how much they could hear, but I was just trying to say, like, don't turn to ways to escape this. Like, I think God can redeem even this stuff, but 
it involves not avoiding the pain, yeah. trying to suffer well, yeah, but I'm also not- internally, like not just other, not preaching it to other people who are hurting, but internally, what did that look like for you? Um, well, several things, a couple, I don't want to say we'll in get- public just yet. Well, we'll just do it on the podcast then. We're not in person with anyone. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. This is private. Uh, Your door's get- shut. My door's shut. Your sense. mom's the only one that listens. It's yeah. really yeah. I'm Miss Norsworthy with your mom jokes. So <laughs> fine, fine. Uh, no, I mean I just realized a lot of the ways that I live life is trying to avoid pain, mm-hmm. and um, actually the very things God might use to do the most good work in me, I'm trying to numb myself to. Yeah, the the line that I probably use the most from Roar is. You know, all great spiritual traditions say the two things that, that teach us, that form us the most, are the way of love and the way of suffering. Yeah. And, you know, as a, it, going back to the Enneagram, as a seven, I don't want to deal with pain. Like, I don't want to deal, I want just to do with fun things. As I, and as I'm learning what maturity and depth looks like for me, it's like staying in that and not running yeah. away from it. And I don't think that's just, you know, one out of the nine Enneagram types. I think that's a normal human response. Uh, and especially the funeral you did this last week for, you know, three-year-old. I mean, that was, that's terif- terrifying. As a parent, as a pastor, all that's just terrifying. And yeah. in times like that, like, I really see how people develop some serious destructive habits because yeah. how do you live into that pain? Which I think ultimately, like, good spirituality says, you y- you have to step into that or that's going to continue to haunt you. Here's what I told the dad. Um, I told the dad... Jesus drank a lot. He was known as a drunkard and a glutton, not because he was a drunkard or a glutton, but because he didn't shy away from partying. Like he starts his ministry off with a party. But the one time Jesus doesn't drink is the one time we'd be the most tempted to. Yep. He doesn't drink when he's on the cross. When they can, they're offering him wine to make him numb. He'll turn water into wine at a party, but he won't do it when it would numb out the pain. And um, obviously I said it a lot more pastorally than that in the moment. And I had developed a relationship with him. To, yeah, of course. But that, but that's, in, go ahead. No, you go ahead. In America, we are so good at numbing. And I think Roar's message is so important because we can numb a thousand different ways. You know, it might be through our PlayStation or through Netflix or through, um, you know, two bottle or two glasses that turns into three glasses that turns into a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. You know, the there's yeah. a lot of ways to numb. Yeah, and what what we're called to do is to not numb. Yeah, but, and, it's not to live an aesthetic life, but I think your point, which is such a good point, is that in the time when you want to run from things, that's when you shouldn't abuse the good things of life. If, yeah. it's, if you want to drink wine, I think the Jesus example that you're, you're making is there's a time for that. But if it's a time in which you want to run away from your pain, that's not the time to go to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so it's almost like you're, you're trying to say, <clears throat> you've got to set up barriers because you know, this is a time in which you can create some really destructive habits that will haunt you for a long period of time. Last year I had a, a short, like a week window of depression and I, I mean I've never been depressed before I've never had anything like that a lot of stuff was going on and <clears throat> I had this thought that came to me in the middle of that that um, this is why I've been practicing because I have a spiritual director who's had me doing contemplative prayer and stuff for a few years and that was one of the more helpful thoughts that came to me and that that window began to pass because I thought, okay, I'm ready for this. Yeah. I heard you say that a couple of weeks ago, and I don't like to say this very often, but that was actually really insightful. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like the, probably the top two or three things you've ever said. That might be right up there. Like this idea that like you do these spiritual disciplines and these practices because eventually the game is going to happen, and you need to be yeah. ready for it, and that's what it's for. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Hey, I have a question for you about the Roar okay. podcast. Sure. One of the things that you said blew your mind um, was his stuff on Sister Death. Yeah. 
Talk to me about that. What was so important about that for you? Well, when he <clears> said <throat> that you've trusted God, it's almost like this idea that you've been practicing all along so that when you get into the game, you're ready to go. Um, we've trusted God with a lot of things, and so we should also be able to trust God in death too. And you think of like your entire life, you're trusting God. Okay, God got me through this, and God sustained me in this, and God was present in that. And when you get to death, you often feel like, well, God's not going to be there with me. But if you see it as God has been with you for the journey the entire time, you go, okay, I can trust God in death as well. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a tension there and one that I need to learn that in. I need to come the other side of the tension a little bit. What do you mean? I did a, I did a series earlier this year called How to Die. And it was, how do you balance this idea of God being in death with also death is the last enemy to be defeated? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, ascension. <clears throat> right. Because there's a quote by David Bentley Hart that I really like where after the tsunami happened and he saw a lot of death, and especially in children, and he said, the best thing I know about God is that when I look at a dead child i do not see the face of god i see the face of his enemy yeah and yeah i mean i I just think like that's there is a sense in which god did not make us to die And, and death is an invader and an enemy and god enters into it he's he's there he's not afraid of death he's defeated death yeah, but you know, at a at a funeral, I think it might be helpful for somebody who is approaching their own death to make peace with it like that. But at a funeral, I feel like saying this isn't this is a bad thing too. Yeah, no, I get that. And <clears throat> one of the things I think Richard Beck said this a, a long time ago, but he said, channeling you know Paul in First Corinthians fifteen, that the sting of death. Uh, you know, where death is your sting that, you know, Paul says that uh, poetically. And I think Beck's point was the sting of death is, is its finality. Like that once it happens, mm-hmm. it's over. And so you see the face of the enemy in death. Like the, you know, we talk about, um, you know, we see God in the sunset and, you know, walking on the beach and all that. But God was also, I think, in that terrible beach scene, the picture we saw a couple of weeks ago when the refugee boy is washed up on the shore whose parents were yeah. on a journey to flee from a war-torn country, and his, the boy doesn't make it. So we saw this terrible scene with a little boy, and he had the shoes on. It was terrifying. And you go, that's the, the, the enemy of God is that moment right there. That, but God is on that beach just as much as he's on the beach yeah. of the sunset because even though you see the enemy of God in death, you realize that the enemy of God is death, but it doesn't have the last word. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's a good way to bring that tension out. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Okay. You ready to transition? Talk about a little Mike Cope. I am. Do you last, know, have you met Mike Cope before? Um, last night I met him in a crocodile suit. In a crocodile suit? Like before, Dun- Dundee? No, not like Dundee. Oh, like, was he like Eddie Murphy? Like when he was doing his thing on HBO and he wore all leather? <laughs> yeah. Was it that no, what it was? No, it was an actual crocodile suit. It was our trunk or treat night. And oh, night. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes a lot more sense. So, yeah, he's. He is um, director of Pepperdine lectureships, mm-hmm. preacher at the Golf Course Road Church of Christ, and like one of the best children's ministry volunteers on Wednesday night in <laughs> Abilene at Highland. Yes. Yeah. And if people don't know, he obviously was the guy who preached at the church you're at now before right. you. And so the ghost of Mike Cope is still haunting around <laughs> that very office right now. It is the ghost of Mike Cope. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a very good haunting. Yes, if you just if you get really quiet, you can just hear someone <laughs> chanting N.T. Wright quotes. It's the ghost of my cove. <laughs> N.T. Wright, N.T. Wright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's so good. I love talking to that guy. He's a great guy. Hey, by the way, I think I know what your joke is going to be. Your opening joke on Tuesday when you preach at Pepperdine. What What's it going to be? Um. I think you're going to definitely say, I'd like to thank N.T. Wright for opening for me last night. Yes, definitely. That's it. That's it, I yeah. Think. I, why wouldn't you? Is there is there a better joke than that? No. No, I, I preached the last sermon at Pepperdine um, on Friday. Even though it was a year away, I said I was opening for N.T. Wright. 
<laughs> yeah, so, that's not bad. I mean, makes sense. Yeah, that's that's not bad. Or I could say, you know, it's great to have uh, NT Wright, friend of the podcast, open for me the <laughs> night before. I think that uh, that's not going to happen. Are you nervous about following NT Wright? No, because they're not going to remember what I said. That's the thing. Is like you, he's going to do so good that it doesn't matter what I say. They're going to be like, oh, NT Wright was so good, and they're just going to remember that. I'll probably stay in my in my room and just watch the video from the night before again. Like I'll, but what about when I'm talking though? No, no, I'll show up at the end of it and shake your hand and tell you good job. <laughs> so you'll feel supported and stuff. Thank you. I, You're welcome. That's really sweet of you to say that, Jonathan. <laughs> it is. And if you ask me what your favorite, my favorite part is, I'll just say something that N.T. Wright said the night before. <laughs> Uh, that is so sweet of you. So sweet of you. <laughs> You're going to do a really good job, man. It, was that a command or a prophetic <laughs> statement or what? <laughs> it was just a, a Hail Mary. It was a hope. <laughs> it was a- like a lamb led to the podcast. There I am. Okay, so actually, Cope and I talk so much about N.T. Wright on the podcast. I feel like we need to talk about N.T. Wright while talking about my Cope. <laughs> Don't you think? It's what? an honor. It would be an honor. Mm-hmm. He he loves N.T. Wright, and yeah. I we we all love N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I figure you would probably like replace that for Chesterton, of course, because that's your new Lord and Savior. Hey, you remember when I when we met N.T. Wright? I talked to him about Chesterton. Oh my goodness, you did, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I what totally is wrong did. with you? He loves Chesterton too. Not not like. There's people who love Chesterton, and then there's you who have this obsession with him. It's stalkerish. It's like ever since you got the cease and desist letter from Zondervan saying, <laughs> stop stalking Rob, okay. you said, I need to find a new person. There at least 50% of the times that I'm on your podcast, you bring up this cease and desist letter from Zondervan. Because it's a big deal. I, it, I, I was – when I – was in California. I talked to Cope like a day after I had lunch with Rob and he was still terrified. We had to meet in like this <laughs> tiny little hole in the wall, like weird food place down in North Hollywood. Cause he's like, Hey, does that guy, is Stormer going to come? Is he here? I don't want to go north towards like Santa Monica or Malibu. Cause he might be a Pepperdine. He's got to just get over it. I gave him a hug that was too long. One time. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're, <laughs> Censoring myself. Okay. Yes. Let's talk about NT Wright. <clears throat> so here's, you know, Cope's, you know, one on one take on, not Cope's take, but the one on one take on one of the things that Wright has brought to the community is to say that what Jesus is, is after is bigger than just when you die, you go to heaven. And, right. I, you know, he quoted someone who I don't know who he was, but who said that we've taken the penultimate step and made it the final step. And luckily, I was a pole folder, and so I know that the penultimate step is the one right before your takeoff step. Otherwise, I would not know what that meant. Uh, I didn't learn that in grad school. I learned on the track where you would have been learning about hay bales. Um, but it's, it's nice to say that from my position where the idea of heaven, it's hopefully pretty far away. I'm not that old. Uh, I haven't lost any of my parents, my brothers, you know, my kids, you know, any of my people who are super close to me. I've lost a couple – both my grandfathers, but that's, that's it. And so it's nice kind of, I can say this almost from uh, an ivory tower of comfort saying I've never lost someone to death. But when Cope says it, you know, he's someone who has lost someone. He's obviously lost his daughter and he talks about it as it's still important, but it's not the main message. It seems like it gives a little bit more gravity. Yeah. Right. No, that's, I think you're right. Um, When he talks about the new heavens and the new earth, it matters more than when it it matters more than when like than I talk about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's that's right. Yeah. Yep. Y'all talked a lot about preaching with a limp. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> that's one of the things I loved about Cope so much is that he was able to move past what many I don't know, many people have an experience of church where it's Hey, that's just nice and wonderful and everything's great. And actually, I did a, a podcast. I'm going to air it next week uh, with a comedian whose uh, parents are, I think they, they don't want to be called atheists, maybe like non-believer, non-church people. So he grew up non-church person. And one of his first questions to me is, how many preachers do you know who uh, don't believe in God or, or have doubts or something like that? And I said, 
most of us have some degree of doubt. It's not as if you're all the way completely given up on God, you're all the way in. Like, we all have a bit of doubt that we all deal with. And so that guy's experience of preachers is, it's you're 100% in, so you never have any questions. But I think what Cope and you know, many who followed suit after him say, no, like, as Beekner said, you know, doubts are like the ants in the pants of faith. It helps keep things moving. It's part of the dance. That it's yeah. not enemies, but it's, it's part of the normal human experience. I think Cope is an amazing preacher. He's one of my favorite preachers to listen to. And you're right. He's managed to, because I feel like when I preach, I, I, I talk about, um, you know, I, I feel like I have a word from the Lord or whatever. And then I work out, um, you know, the doubts and questions that I have and other times, but he's actually been able to preach with great confidence while also saying, and there are days that I don't have this confidence. Yeah. Uh, The, I mean, he's he's just an amazing preacher and I, I love how he's been able to incorporate even that part of his faith. I, I think that kind of transparency makes room for other people to be transparent. And I think that's, yeah. that's the kind of honesty that enables community to be really formed because someone has to be the first one to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm not perfect. Like someone has to yep. set that tone. And I think that's what that type of preaching can do. So, And he did it, by the way, before it was cool or trend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like today, if like if I was to get up and, and preach and talk about my doubts, people wouldn't flinch. But in the nineties, that was that was a, a thing. And I'll tell you the after following Cope, one of the great things that I've seen is a lot of the people at Highland also have lamps and they know it's okay to, to have that here. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Hey, did you hear the stuff we did about um, disagreeing without being jerks or whatever his blog post was titled? I don't think that was the actual title, Disagreeing Without Being a Jerk. I think we embody that, you and I. That, like, I'm able to disagree and you're able to be a jerk? Is that what you're saying? No, I was just saying disagreeing without being jerks, both of us. But now that I think about it, you're right. It is on one side. Yeah. But I feel like you're, you're learning from me, and that's okay. It'll take time. I am learning some things from you. Like what? I, like what? Uh, you know, you don't want me to say because I'm not a jerk. The the um, <laughs> stuff about church being a community of reconciliation, I think that's spot on. When you take communion and you look around and you realize you don't like everybody, I think the answer is praise God. Yeah. Is there, I mean, specifically, like, what people at your church don't you like? <laughs> I mean, just to name names. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured just in the in the uh, effort of being honest, that that might be a good place to do it. Oh yeah, I would literally preach with a limp if <laughs> I started doing that. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. Okay, oh, I mean, so- at, at Highland, and this is this is again, you know, Cope. This is his DNA is all over this church. The ghost of Cope, as you say, um, like Highland has. People all – I cannot say a single thing at Highland that everybody would agree on. You know, if I was to stand up and say evolution or gun control or, you know, anything. And I think that's a large part of what it means to be a church is to be around people who you do not have much in common with except for Jesus. What What do you think is different in a community that – is able to do that, to say, yeah, of course we don't agree on everything. And a community that says, no, we're all, you know, this is a bastion of, you know, liberal politics or conservative politics, and we're all vote the exact same way on every issue, and we all think this about every different policy. What do you, do you think there's something that's a a major difference in that community that creates that environment? Well, not to like Jesus juke here or anything, but I think the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with that. That's a complete Jesus juke. It is. Um, But I really do think that's true. Um, I think groupthink is such a toxic thing, you know, where you agree on gun controls, you agree on lower taxes or whatever. And if you can really see what a big deal Jesus is and like move towards him being the center of your life, you can develop a different kind of groupthink. And I've seen that. I've seen that at Highland. I saw that at the Hills. Um, People who didn't agree on everything but really thought Jesus was – 
the most important thing are able to come together in ways that they couldn't otherwise. Yeah. No, that's good. It, it seems like, especially when you're young, you feel like, you know, I've got it all figured out. I'm going to fight for this because this is the right thing to do. And the older you get, the more you hold loosely to your opinions on things. And you realize that's not essential. Like, you don't have yeah. to have my same opinion on X, Y, and Z. There are things of first importance that we hold to, but not everything is of the same level of significance. Right. That's yeah. right. Okay. Distinctives are important, but not the main thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you listen to Shane Hips? I did. I like Shane Hips a lot. Had you heard uh, Shane Hips before? <laughs> like, did you ever listen to his podcast or uh, after he followed Rob at Myers Hill? Oh, I you're did probably blocked on iTunes then. Uh, never mind. <laughs> hey, let me tell you that that question you asked him at the beginning about did people just come up and tell you they stopped listening to the podcast when Rob <laughs> left? It was so so funny, man. So offensive and so funny. <laughs> By the way, I don't know how to unsubscribe from a podcast. There's one that I'm wanting to unsubscribe to. Let's call it Over West. It's a church in Austin. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how to – I don't think you should do that. Yeah. I really like their last person, but this this new person is not – Yeah. He just – he struggles. He's, I'll just say that. Hmm, yeah, that's weird. That's really sad. That's sad. He's got great hair, but oh, sermons. Huh. Oh, that set it off. Wait well, a minute. Are you talking about me? I feel like you... No. no. Okay, so... I said over west, not west over. Oh, okay. I just had a little listening dyslexia that popped up there. It <laughs> uh, comes and goes with the, the, the pollen, I guess. Okay, so uh, Shane Hips. Now, you pretty much have a very low view of people. You think we're all pretty much awful. And so he talks about this, like listening to the voice, the, the true voice, the one true voice. I still, I think I'm getting it wrong, but like listening to that essence inside of you. And as someone who has such a low view of people, how did that re- resonate with you? So how do I have a low view of people? You're just, low- I may, oh, you know what it is? I think it's because it's me and you talking. Like there are certain people I talk to that I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I have a low view of that person. <laughs> it's, it's- Land to the podcast. Land to the podcast. So I, I, uh, I mean, I think a lot of his stuff on desire, I, I really resonate with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can see him being a very low control person in, in uh, pastoral stuff. I. The did you, prob- Did you hear his line about the preacher's the first word, not the last word? I did. Yeah. You like that? What do you think about it? Um, sometimes I think the preacher is the first word, not the last word. And sometimes I think God sends a word to somebody and they say, thus saith the Lord. Hmm. Um, the, I mean, what do you think? You're a preacher. That's true. I am. Uh, yeah, I, I think in terms of maybe some of the secondary issues, like we were discussing before, and now that you mentioned that, obviously the preaching can be the first word on, okay, what does this look like for, you know, this subject? But I think, now that I think about it, I think there is some significance to saying that, like, this is a voice from the Lord. This is the voice that the leadership of the church is all behind, and this is where we think that God's calling us to go. And so it needs to be more than just the first word on it. But in terms of, like, the majority of discourse that happens in the church, I think this is the whole, like, priesthood of all believers. This is the mm-hmm. democratization of church. On, on certain issues, there doesn't, need to be like this uniformed opinion on, you know, this subject. I mean, there can be a plurality of opinions on them. Right. And I, I, I'm a big fan of the democratization of the church and preach of all believers. The thing that I think it's toxic is radical individualism gets mixed into that. Hmm. And a lot of times the, the first word can be, uh, create disharmony, what that do, mindset. What do you mean radical individualism? I mean, like everybody thinks they're, you know, independent of the community and like the whole. Um, so, so like my opinion on this, it's not the rest of everyone. So it doesn't matter if we all agree on it. If, how is that? How is that a bad thing? No, I mean, I think if it's a minor thing, but there's times when to be a part of a, a community, I think, uh, Having the same story matters. Okay. And and honestly, like here's here's my question. I think for Shane, it would be something like, 
what about all the self-deceit that I have? Like, who gets to speak a word into my life that I don't get to turn back into, um, you know? Yeah. Martin Luther says sin is curving in on yourself. Yeah. And I think I have, and I'm just saying this from my own heart, I have incredible tendencies to be able to make myself the hero of the story and take all new information and relegate it to me still being at the center of the universe. I completely agree with that. <laughs> you are. No, I was just don't, supporting you. No, don't bleed around sharks. That's what they say. Don't bleed around sharks. <laughs> but uh, you need someone to have the prophetic voice to speak into that. Sometimes. I think the per- preacher, when he, does not have the, when he or she does not have the first word, are, they need to be suffering. And, and I mean, like they, ha- they need to have bled for this last word. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it's like just something from an office that you've done and, you know, here's what, here's what I think. Or I think if God gives someone a, a legitimate word that's discerned through community, that there is a time to say, thus saith the Lord. And um, yeah, I, yeah. I get all that. I, I know that there's um, – I know that there was another Mars Hill as well. So I understand the kind of thing that we're reacting to in our culture. The, but, the hyper-controlling. Yeah. Everyone has to have this exact same belief set, and you've got to sign a document that says, I believe X, Y, and Z about who God is and you know how the end of times work. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to push against that, but there might be uh, a little pendulum effect where you go too far. Okay, yeah. let's go back to impulses. You said you liked his stuff on impulses. I do. I think, um, I think Jesus cares a lot about our desire. Like the woman at the well, when Jesus says, "Aren't you thirsty?" When she's talking about having four husbands and all that, I don't think he's changing the conversation. I think he's trying to get into like what you're really after, the thing behind all the things that you pursue, and and I like that. Um. Hmm the desire that we have, if you could find out what you're really, really thirsty for instead of what the other imported desires of advertising or. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I like drink just about water forever. I don't, I don't drink anything else. I'm not a very, um, you know, creative person. I like habits. And so I just drink water all the time. And the few times that I ever really crave something else to drink, like, you know, Gatorade or lemonade or something. One of the things I've learned about myself is that usually I do that not because I really want lemonade or Gatorade, but because I'm dehydrated and I haven't drank enough water. And so over the time I've realized, okay, you think you want that to drink? Well, take a drink of water and then let me know if you really want that still. And I've learned like there are impulses that I have that if I have taken the time to really think about them, that there's something else going on under the surface that, that I've learned to interpret. And I think maybe that's kind of what Hibbs is pointing to. Like, all of your impulses are good. Like, the affair, I think, is an example of, okay, you have this impulse, I want to have an affair with someone. Okay, that's not a good decision to make. It, it makes your life more complicated, to use his language. But if you look underneath that, what you're craving for is good. Like, in the beginning, yeah. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for us to live outside of community, outside of affection, outside of love. And what you're really craving for is something that is a divinely inspired thing. And so I think what he's pointing to is like we have this task as human beings to wrestle with the tension of being both dust and divinity. Like we both have inside of us, maybe more so me than you, but like God's presence inside of us, like God's (laughs) image is in us. But we also have these human frailties that lead us down these awful roads because we misinterpret what our, our good impulses are. Yeah, we're gods who poop. Yeah, thank you for the PG version of that. Please don't edit that out and make me sound like I said you could totally do that. Note to self. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, but one of my, one of the problems I have with the one of the problems I have with the stuff that he talked about with desire is. What do you do with, like in the Bible, one of the worst things that can happen to you is God gives you what you want. What do you mean? Well, like um, 
the language is the language of theology is passive wrath, but that doesn't go over well with our culture. But basically, God hands you over to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, God lets you, you know, the prodigal son, the father gives him exactly what he asked for. The mm-hmm. and, and so one of the things that I think if if we if we preach this, I think we've got to make sure we're clear. Augustine's right. I, I, I am a big fan of Augustine these days. Our hearts are restless till we find rest in God. Mm-hmm. And our biggest problem is disordered love. And the we love the wrong things in the wrong order in too much ways, or mainly we don't love God enough in proportion to the mm-hmm. other things that we love. And <clears throat> a lot of times that desire and I think Shane, I think here's the genius of what he's doing. If you chase your desire deep enough, it takes you back to God. Yep. But I think we we find our and C.S. Lewis's language, we find ourselves making mud pies when we're offered a holiday at the sea. Yeah. And so if you chase the desires enough, you go, it doesn't lead me ultimately to the mud pie. It leads me back to the, the holiday at the sea. Right. Is that what you're yep. saying? If, I do think that's right. If you do the work to get all the way back to where it starts. But that work is harder than we think. Yeah. Because and, we distract and numb and and ultimately settle way before we get there. Yeah, to do a call back to uh to roar stuff, it, it sometimes means that you have to listen to the pain. You don't just go to right. the impulse to leave pain, you have to stay in your pain and go, What is underneath this? and you gotta keep working back. And that's that's hard work to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, let me let's talk about do you have anything else on hips you want to say? Yeah, I do have a question for you. His stuff on being a pastor and not being concerned with outcomes. Yeah, yeah. I I like that. What do you do with Philemon? Where Paul's command is you you've got to this the outcome of you guys reconciling is worth me writing an entire letter that gets worked into the to the book of the Bible. Right. As and, the book of the Bible. And it is slightly manipulative. Well, I mean, if you owe me anything, I mean, you do owe me your soul. So, but okay, the outcome of I want justice to happen in this relationship, I'm directly tied to that. Yeah. Okay, that's one. I I took that conversation as I can't turn this church into whatever I want it to be. Did I don't? Did we talk about the church plant on the podcast? Or we Shane and I talked about that afterwards. Yeah, I think it was off. Okay, Fine. but we talked about like as a church planner, like you start a church and you think that you have full control of it. Like if there's ever a time in ministry where you're going to get exactly what you want, it's when you plan a church because supposedly you start from scratch. You're the alpha dog. But one of the things I learned even in that situation is, no, it's completely contingent upon the people I'm a part of, the environment, the community I'm in. And I, I learned in my experience there – that I'm a part, I might have the first word, but I don't have the last word. Like, this is a community's effort, and I see that in a small scale at a church plant, and you go to a bigger church, and you go, I definitely don't have the final word on this. Now, yeah. maybe the outcome of that situation is maybe more exactly what you speak to, not the, hey, there's a, uh, like, say you have a, a family in your home in which there's abuse going on, and you need to step in and say, hey, we've got to fix this. We've got to stop this from happening. Yeah. Do, do you think... Those are different? Yeah, yeah. I, I think they can be. I think, um, you know, a lot of times pastors are working on outcomes that are really healthy for their church that aren't tied to their own ego, you know. And, and I think, honestly, I think a lot of the we, – we do a lot of intramural bashing in Christianity. Um, we see like a Mark Driscoll church implode, and we say, see, all mega churches are like that. And they're not, and you and I know that because we worked at a mega church together. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes people who care about outcomes are caring about outcomes for that aren't tied to their ego. And I think that's the difference. If if you are manipulating a whole organization or congregation because you're trying to squeeze your identity out of being the it church, then it's going to turn toxic. <clears throat> um, yeah. I do, and I also think that happens often, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't always happen. And then on the flip side of that, I also think people who are concerned about justice can do can do the exact same thing. Like, 
I care about sex trafficking, and if I can't get other people to care about stopping sex trafficking, then I'm worthless as a human being. So I better, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I, I think if, and this is one of the things that you know, I think the gospel actually speaks to your identity, your your. Yeah. What justifies your existence is the love of God and nothing else. Yeah. And so you pick up those other roles in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. So we're about to run out of time. So let's talk about the man that I know you really want to talk about, Father James yeah. Martin. Two steps away from Chesterton. <sighs> What's the in-between step? Oh, he's Catholic. hundred years. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's exactly how that works. Um, he knows some people who knew some people who knew Chesterton. Mm-hmm. That's true. So you're like three, me to him to him to one other person. It's like you're four steps, really. You're you're Kevin that. Bacon. Yeah. Yes. No, I Bacon. I'm more of a sausage guy. Um. So, why were you so excited? Like you said when I told you, hey, I had uh, Jim Martin on. You were you were as excited as you've been about any guest. Oh man, I, I remember. Loved you. Well, first off, he's Colbert's chaplain. Yeah. And. You've seen those videos. Matter of fact, you should just pipe in the video of him and Colbert talking about Catholic catechism and teaching um, Sunday school. You should do that right now. I'll pause so we we no, can listen. No, I'm not going to do that. It's too, way too much work. There's Google for that. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I love. I love that. I love. You know, he's kind of a, a a Christian who is out in the world and he's not losing his distinctiveness, but he's also very much. Um, speaking to our our world well, like he blessed George Clooney. I know. You know? That's a pretty cool story. That was. Um, hey, so he wrote a novel and he got it from a dream. You've written a novel. Mm-hmm. Did God give you a dream? Uh, I don't see. I think that's the one thing that was missing in my novel. There was no dream from God. Huh. Yeah. So I, it was like lifeless and <laughs> two dimensional. Maybe it was a satanic dream. Uh, no, I just don't think there's a dream involved. I just, I, unlike Dr. King, I don't have a dream. It was just, I'm, uh, I was just writing something. I appreciate you just dragging my nose through the mess that I made, like I'm a dog or something. Was it like, Jim was angry. Jim got up in the morning. Hey, 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 let's not act like you're getting some Pulitzer Prize for (laughs) how to start a riot. I mean, I know that you... (laughs) You're freaking New York Times bestseller, and by New York Times, I mean Abilene Reporter News bestseller, but come on. That is a legitimate award. That you, is a legitimate award. Dude, you sold like eight more copies than I did from your book and my novel, so don't don't act like mine is a waste of time. Come on. <laughs> oh, that hurts. That hurts. Because it's true. Well, I can always tell when I hurt you because you just – the swords come <laughs> out. <laughs> You're just attacking me. I'm just having to defend myself like a lamb led to the podcast. Hey, yeah. real real question. You saw a young girl get hit by a car when you were young? Yeah, I was five. Yeah. Dude, I've never heard that story. Yeah, um Yeah, that's a, it's a tough story. Um it it became a whole lot r- more real to me uh two years ago when my oldest daughter became that age. And mm-hmm. so you know the story was, you know, walking behind our house, um, me and two older girl, two girls, one older, one younger, and you know, one crosses safely, and then I'm the last one to go. But the one in between us gets hit by a car, and I was thinking about that after I talked to him about it. And I saw her one time a couple years later at a camp, and she was in like this huge um, wheelchair, and she had breathing tubes, and uh, you know, this is before her parents got divorced after the issue because you know, so many relationships yeah. don't survive traumas, as just as stats show. And I was thinking of a, that image, and I was going, just the ability for me to walk and talk and breathe and have a normal life right now is a gift because, I mean, we're talking about a stinking five-year-old deciding, no, you go first. No, I'll go first. And that's that's the difference of me having a life and not having a life. And oh, man. It's crazy to think it, um, you know, that just as easily could have been me, and that could have been um, – you know. Could have been my it's just a weird thing when you get brushed up right next to trauma like that. And I know you've been around trauma and you've you've seen it and you've experienced obviously this funeral you did this last week, but um yeah, it's 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 crazy to think about. Man, I didn't know that. The the that that's you're like an onion man. 
just there's a whole other level of <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> I, I really didn't know that I, I do think those kind of things really shape you when you're a kid yeah definitely yeah i I remember going up um because back then you don't have cell phones, and so we ran up the hill it was probably <clears throat> Uh, a couple hundred yards up the hill, it's you know heavily forested, and get to our house. And I don't know where anyone else was, but I ran inside, and then I have this flashbulb memory of sitting at our kitchen table, and we had like a yellow linoleum countertop, we had green wallpaper. Uh, I don't know what my mom was thinking with that design as I describe it. <laughs> and I grabbed the phone, and I remember dialing nine one one, and then I remember our entire yard being like flooded with first responders. And wow. It's so a, you called nine one one for it? Yeah, I really. There, the lady who hit him was a nurse, and uh, she said, "Go call, go get help." And there was no phone. She can't. So I, yeah, yeah. I wow, wow. I, when I when I did that funeral, one of the things I, I was thinking listening to y'all's podcast because it came out three days after I did the funeral. Um, he he was talking about how he would talk about. God suffers with them, and then the hope of the resurrection is a real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember last week sitting at, at at the table with this young couple of parents, and moments like that in ministry feel like you're trying to disarm a bomb, and you don't know which wire to clip. Yeah. And <clears throat> after talking to him for a little bit, because that's, that's my instinct too is to— talk about God, God is with you in the suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they were a, I don't want to give too many details. They, they basically were not a privileged family. Mm-hmm. And as I talked to them, the more I talked to them, the more I realized they were ready for and expecting a word of hope. Hmm. And so did you talk resurrection then? Well, not at first, but after I, after I got to know him, I said, you know, I, I think the Christian faith says that your son has never been happier, hmm. that there is, he is with God and cheering you guys on in what the Bible calls a cloud of witnesses. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't do that. I mean, I don't want to be glib um, in moments like that. And so I, I waited for a little bit, and I could tell that was kind of— They need to hear that. Yeah. You said something to me when we were talking about that funeral is that, you know, I don't know how to say this PC, but like middle class white people don't deal with adversity and suffering as well as other people or something like that. It might not not be white as much as it is middle class or privileged in the sense of we we are so used to protecting ourselves from suffering. We ask the question why immediately and over and over again. Uh-huh. And in my limited experience, people who are not privileged don't ask that question that much or that quickly. Hmm. They, I mean, they're just used to bearing in the suffering of the world. In lots of ways, they've had plenty of practice when those moments come. And they – I don't know. This is why I think churches need to not just help the poor but – be poor, be with poor people constantly um, because they can teach us so much about God because mm-hmm. um, they're one meal away. They're one, you know, not having access to a doctor away. And, and so, <clears throat> you know, Becker's denial of death, they don't have the privilege to deny death the way we do. <clears throat> yeah. That's good. It's uh, you know Larry James titled his book was the the wealth of the poor, and I yeah yeah there's definitely some riches that you learn uh, in in different experiences than the privileged one. So yeah, all right, dude, we're uh, we're out of time. Anything, Thanks for having me. Anything that you're heartbroken that we didn't get to discuss before we go? Um, how was your first month at Westover? Oh, um, it's been great. People have been wonderful, super encouraging, and. Uh, it's uh, it's a whole learning experience for me because it's different than what I've been doing for the last seven years. For example, there are kids coming by to trick or treat in our office from uh, the Mother's Day out in our church in a matter of three minutes. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. People have been wonderful. Um, it's it's a gift to be here. Cool. I've had people who came from Westover to 
Highland for like ACU's homecoming and came up to me and said that you were doing a good job. And so it sounds like they, they like you and that you're doing good work. Oh, well, just don't, don't air Pete Holmes yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Johnny, thanks for your time, dude. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.